welcome new and familiar listeners. I am your hostess, Lana. Joining me is Mother Hen, a based homesteading mother of five. We'll talk about homesteading, children, and politics in the year 2020. So stick around. Welcome, Mother Hen. So glad to have you with us. Well, thank you for having me, Lana. It's finally nice to talk to you. Looking lovely. I love this braid and this outfit that you have. Very classic. (laughs) I try. (laughs) And of course, we can't see you, but we can hear you. I've I've come to find out about you actually via your husband uh, and DLive, of course. And you guys, you and your husband have been active in our, our live stream chats, which is pretty fun. But you're a, should I say, a based homesteading mom of five, which is all very awesome. What other descriptive terms should we add about you? Oh, geez. I like the term Jan of all trades. Nice. Um, I love to motivate people. You know, that's that's what I'm here for. So I'm a huge advocate. I'm I am a mother hen of uh, anybody I meet. So you go and just sit on them right away. <laughs> Put your feathers up. You are mine. No. <laughs> You know, a a really good mother um, tends to watch their children and take care of them and protect them until they're ready to be on their own. And it's definitely something that a lot of people need in their lives, especially if you look at um, what degeneracy we have in this world with single mothers or mothers that just don't fulfill their own role. Um, It's something that needs to be done for a lot of people. Now, were you pretty tight with your mom? Oh, yeah. Okay. Very. So that passed down. Now, let's get into a little bit of your background. You know, you were single and then leading up to, you know, meeting your marriage, uh, your your husband, and then starting a family. Were you always wanting to homestead and have a large family? Ah, Maybe when I was really young. And then, unfortunately, I fell subject to a little bit of um, feminism. We all do, unfortunately. You know, I, well, yeah, I mean, I was peer pressured into thinking that men suck and, and you know, um, uh, you're never going to do anything with your life. You might as well just go and get a career and go to college and all that. And um, I did start working and then I met my husband and I couldn't think of anything else to do other than to be his wife and bear his children. Um it took me by complete surprise, but I'm so grateful it happened, though, because it really, he saved my life. Now, were you, are you a completely different woman, would you say, after marriage and kids versus before? Absolutely. Yeah, I know. I think, I think it impacts most women. They always say women tend to become more uh, conservative or traditional after they have kids, and I think that that's true. You know, you have... You don't want all these degenerate things around your kid anymore. You don't want to go out and party. There's certain things that are like, eh, it's not so bad. You're liberal about when you're single. But then when you have kids to protect, everything really changes, huh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I wasn't really degenerate. I was raised in a very traditional home, and I understood the value of being wholesome and good. Um, It was more so just, you know, that's not what your primary focus should be. Um, Along with my peers, that's what the the thought process was if you will and so um i'm I'm glad about that aspect of never actually reaching degeneracy um (laughs) something to be proud of nowadays you know for for women to be a slut is like oh i'm so proud that i'm a slut it's outrageous i think in our generation it it was still it wasn't cool to be a slut even back then 
No, it wasn't. And it was not cool to be a teenage mom either. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, at what point did you both decide, let's homestead? Uh, that's been in the making. So my husband is from the country. I'm from the city. Um, but my grandparents, my father was raised on a farm and my grandparents all lived on farms. They all homesteaded. And um, it always fascinated me. I always spent all of my summers there, at, you know, switching off years, going to my grandparents multiple times through the year and helping them. And I always loved that part of my life, more so than the city life. And so when I met my husband, um, you know, him being from the country, he kind of wanted a taste of the city. So we had wanted a trade-off. Um, but as we started to have kids and, um, of course, naturally was already into natural birth and wanting to, to make my own baby food, you know, really being an advocate for healthy living uh, with my children, I started gravitating more and more towards the absolute need to have my own garden because that's the only way I can truly understand exactly what I'm putting in my children's mouths. Um, so that driver kind of led us toward it, um, along with a whole bunch of others. But for me specifically, that, that was my main driver. And we just started, you know, you're as a married couple, you need something to look forward to, like a five-year plan. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's pretty much what we started doing. What is our ultimate dream of a homestead and how do we get there? And how long is it going to take us to get there? And how long did it take you to get there? <laughs> I don't well, know how far, how deep in you are now, but. Yeah, I mean, well, we've had our ups and downs, yeah, along the Not journey. Easy. So yeah. Yeah, it isn't. So, but the thing for, with us getting into homesteading, there's so much to learn in, to, in order to be successful. And when we started this, there really wasn't much on the internet, really. It's only been a big wave of videos and, and articles just within the last couple of years. So. Um, for us, we're still on that journey, to be honest. Um, right now, currently, we're just about to purchase our next land to do our giant homestead. We're months away, um, so we're ready. Um, but we've had chickens. We own rabbits right now. We've had several gardens. We've, we've tried and tested everything and all of our logic that we wanted in our five-year plan of full homesteading. We've tested just about all of them. So we're, we're finally ready to buy the perfect land that will facilitate our homestead. Well, that's exciting because that's that's the future, right? That's going to be forever and hopefully something that you can pass down to your children as well. You know, something that we don't have much anymore because a lot of people do live in the cities and then, you know, they, they get older, they sell their place, they downsize, they go to condos, they spend the rest of the money traveling or something. They don't actually have something tangible to pass down to their kids or I think about in terms of an emergency scenario in the future of America and you want to be able to have your children to be able have some land that uh, hopefully is all paid off that they can live on and thrive on and survive on right absolutely i mean i ask people all of the all of the time you know when you get old and you have money to hand down to your children well what if the federal reserve has a complete collapse what then do you have to pass down to your legacy yeah 
I know. That's that's depressing thinking about that. And then the other thing is you want to help your kids get ahead, too. You know, we get accused of, oh, white privilege. But I don't know so many white people that actually have an inheritance that they receive anymore or property or, or things. It seems like that's kind of going out the window, which is really depressing. But I think land is one of the best things. A lot of us should be buying lots of land right now, thinking in terms of overpopulation and, and the horrible things that might be coming. You know, we do have to become uh, self-sufficient and we'll get into that a little more. But I just want to say it's funny how we see a lot of reality shows now about homesteaders, especially in Alaska and stuff. It's it's something people think is new and edgy and it's almost like a spectacle, you know, even though humans have been doing it for a long time, right? Europeans have been agrarian for ages, right? <laughs> That's how they survived. Yeah, I know. And now it's like, ooh, look at these homesteaders. But I mean, there's some people that don't know what that means or they think, oh, you're living like an Amish person or something. So w explain what homesteading means you guys oh dear <laughs> well um homesteading to me is being able to produce all the caloric intake that we're going to need um that means anything we need to ingest we're going to grow it and make it ourselves um but it should be not just for ourselves it should be for our animals it, it's a it's circular right it's it's a beautiful circle of life um to where you are making a footprint um and setting up not just yourselves but your legacy your future legacy so lena when you said hand it down to your children that's absolutely correct not um teaching your children how to be self-sufficient how to do everything um improving the overall health um, of your family, um, but really setting up the land to where it can be used for multiple generations. And so you really have to think how you're going to plot out your land, how your where your buildings are going to be, future families, where their houses are going to sit, um, really preserving the land, the, the um, trees, even for future lumber usage. Uh, it goes into grave detail. Literally, my husband has an entire show to talk about this. Um, and he is not done even scratching the surface on just the basics. Yeah, there's a lot of information and it's so good because there's so many people in our scene, a lot of nationalists, we, we see what's coming, you know, and there's a lot of people that feel we need to become self-reliant. I mean, what with the days of banning and censorship, how far is this going to go? I mean, are they eventually going to try and ban you from getting water, electricity? I mean, communists have been known to do this before, right? So, I mean, becoming self-reliant may become uh, very crucial in the future. What do you think? Um, I advocate for that every time I talk to somebody. Uh, I, I mention that almost in every single episode that I do. Um, um, it, you cannot be dependent on any organization, any government agency. Um, if they hold control over your survival, right, water, food, air, um, then they can control you. And they have absolute control over you, and they they can threaten your life if if uh, you're not doing what they like. And so, home having a homestead is freedom. Um, you no longer 
have to be dependent on somebody to feed you or to provide food in the grocery store. You know, there's, there's actually, there was like, um, there was some kind of a major weather event in Alaska and the food trucks couldn't get to the grocery stores. And, um, this was like maybe a couple of years ago and, um, just about everybody was starving. They were scrounging for food. And the only people that were surviving were the homesteaders in Alaska. Yep. That's right. Exactly. You can't, you can't depend on it. And especially as our countries can, well, I know America is going to tumble more into third world status. You never know what's coming down the road. So it's always better to be self-sufficient, not to rely on anyone else, of course. And as you said, the important factor, nutrition. People are getting sicker, you know, living in these cities, eating this toxic food, being in these toxic environments all the time. I, f I find that homesteaders and people that have been on the land for a long time growing their own food and stuff, they're the most natural, um, you know, grounded people you'll you'll meet. Uh, what has been your experience? Have you been meeting other homesteaders? Well, yeah, they, they're all very healthy and so are we. Um <laughs> You know, it's there's definitely something to it. When we started going down this journey, we would get, you know, colds, we would get the flu, we would get all this, all the gunk and all the sickness and, you know, um, digestive issues, if you will. And uh, when we started eating organic, healthy, homegrown, we all the entire family saw a vast improvement in our health. Um, I feel like I don't know what I feel. I just feel more alive. I don't have uh, stomach pains. I don't have all these ailments that everybody else I know does anymore. I think, too, and, if, if you can do it right, well, because we know organic food is so expensive. Go to Whole Foods. See how expensive it is. <laughs> I mean, you easily go spend a couple hundred bucks. I know there's farmer's markets and stuff like that, but you, you can also save the money. But I think of when I think of homesteading, if you can do it right and become self-sufficient and, and be able to make some kind of money to be able to pay for little expenses, it seems like a, a less, even though it's harder, you're out there toiling the fields, it seems lower stress level. And I think that you feel better because you're outside more. I mean, God knows I get, you know, around computers too much. It's like, oh, it's like virtual reality after a while, you know. What do you think? Is it is it lower stress? Yeah, absolutely. It, it's something worthwhile to do, right? So, you know, if you're having fun working, it's not stressful. Um, a lot of people work the nine to five jobs. And so that's stressful in itself, right? And, but but what do they get out of that job? They get a paycheck. And they have to pay taxes on it. They have to um, uh, go and buy their groceries and, and everything else. And, and they have to take the time out to do all of that shopping, right? And all of that is just your time that you're having to spend away from your family, away from what you should be doing. And then on top of that, you're not making enough money to survive per se. And so you're stressed about that. And it just creates a whole stressful environment. So when you start taking control of your own life and taking control of where you're spending your time and your money and your efforts um, more to doing it yourself, growing it yourself, you, you get so much benefit to actually see, I, I, I grew this from a seed. And now tonight I'm, I'm, cutting it up and putting it in a dish.
<laughs> or I made this entire meal from my land. Yeah, it's pretty cool, huh? Special. It's like it's, magic in a way. <laughs> it's like, whoa, it this, this amazing thing just grows out of the dirt. Now I'm eating it, and it's really good. <laughs> it's better than anything yeah. in the store. Yeah. I mean, I remember our first meal that we ever made, all from our own land. Um, we had, believe it or not, um, um, a lavender-infused honey-glazed rabbit that we mm. barbecued. Sounds good. Yes. We go fancy. <laughs> But we also had um, potatoes and herbed potatoes and carrots, um, all from our garden. Nice, all from our own land. Now, what about animals? Are you are you going to have livestock, or do you have livestock? Well, all we have currently are just rabbits. Okay. Um, but yeah, in the end, we will have. And this is the big debate, so maybe y'all can help us with this one. Which would you prefer? Cow milk or goat milk? Cow milk. Or, or sheep. <laughs> Cow or milk. sheep. I know. Yeah. So, but, um, and these are the, the intricacies that, that we're talking about currently is the effort associated with harvesting that cow milk versus goat milk. And what yeah. are the other benefits you can make from it? Because you can make cheese and butter from both of them. I just like the taste better. But yeah, cows, you have to milk them, what, like two, three times a day or something like, like that? Twice a day, yeah. yeah. And depending on the type of cow, depends on how many gallons of milk you get every day. But nothing is as good as raw milk and the cream on the top. And it's ludicrous because in some states, it's actually illegal to go and buy it. People have to go in like a herd share or buy it for their cat food or something. You know, it's like, come on, humans have been drinking raw milk forever, like especially Europeans. I'm not going to die from drinking raw milk. It's funny, the first time I did have it raw, that the thought got in my head like, oh, am I doing something wrong? Am I going to get sick? You know? But it's the one thing that does it doesn't make my stomach hurt. Other milk can actually make my stomach hurt, you know, even some and, certain organic ones. Yes, and I don't know the terms, but there are two differences between the store-bought milk versus raw milk, right? There's oh, yeah. like an like L1 something difference in the um milk itself. And the one that's sold at the store and I this is a highly controversial topic, but the one sold in the store, you know, is almost carcinogenic. Um, they say, they say, I don't know who they are, you know, and, and, and but it, it lines up to what you and I both agree with. It hurts our stomach, you know, whatever else, but raw milk is great. It's fine. And it, but it's more, it has different components in it. And so I would encourage everybody to look into that at least for yourself. Don't listen to others on these topics. If it's controversial, more than likely there's a lie or yeah. there's there's truth in there that people are trying to hide. That's right. That's right. I mean, I've seen it's hilarious. So I've seen, well, kind of scary. I've seen footage of people SWAT teams coming in and storming on farms who were selling raw milk and stuff. It's just it's crazy. Like why are they so against that? Why don't they use that force at the border, you know, instead of farmers? It's outrageous. I've heard about that as well. Um I <laughs> I think, though, they've gotten a lot more lax on that because there are a lot more co-ops all yeah. over the place where you can easily get raw milk um, now. Now, I know you're also part of the paleo diet, yes? Oh, yeah. Here, oh, oh, sorry, we're showing some footage right here of uh, SWAT team storming for, oh, where's the excellent. raw milk? Stick your hands up, you know? It's crazy. Anyway, paleo diets. 
are, I think we're on the same page about diet. Yeah. Yeah, we are. Um, I, I don't call it paleo. Yeah. I don't like Because we're talking diets. about milk too. Well, I, I do like my raw milk and cheese and all that. Some paleo people don't do that, but I definitely love we, my cheese. I, I hate labels anywhere. And so when, when a diet has a name, I don't like it because it's limited, right? Immediately lost for interpretation. But I like to say I eat like my ancestors. And do I don't, if you want me to, I can go into kind of the logic around yeah, that. Yeah, let's do it. Cause some people still don't know. I get a lot of questions about this, uh, you know, your diet and what do you mean? Uh, ancestral diets, paleo diet. So I think it's helpful information. Okay. Um, okay. So going sciency a little bit, you know, your gut is the core of your genetic uh, makeup, your genetic design for survival. Um, you have to eat in order to survive. And so if you look at from an evolutionary perspective, um, that design is not going to change very much. It would have to have a massive and long-term consistent environmental change in order for it to consider changing how your gut works. And your gut is designed based off of your genetics and your genetics are inherited by your ancestors. So I would, I would estimate it would take thousands of years of a constant change in order for your, your gut to change how it processes things. And so you would literally have to do genealogy and get a better understanding of your ancestors, who they were, where they lived and how they lived. They probably foraged hunted locally, ate only local and seasonal food that they could gather themselves. And for that, that is what I try to do as well. Um, and since doing that, you know, I, I started that journey five, probably four or five years now. Um, and to be honest, and I don't know how this is going to be perceived to people, but I lost a substantial amount of weight that I didn't even know I had mm -hmm. in all honesty. I mean, it, it's, it was insane. Um, and how quickly that, that it just shed away. And I can't go back to eating other foods because it, it completely messes up my whole entire just flow, my system. Um, so to kind of give you an example, um, grass-fed meat only, mostly red meat, a little bit of chicken, not much. Um, if I want a good white meat, then I'll eat a rabbit or something else. Um, I eat a lot of bison as well. Um, I don't think I'll ever be able to own bison, so that will be an issue for me. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe someone else will and you can trade. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a great idea. And what about fish? Um, I actually don't eat fish unless it's fresh captured from the river. Mm -hmm. It depends so, where you live too. So. Exactly. And where I live would not be comparable fish. So I can't, I don't have access to it. Although fish should be very healthy for me. It's probably the one area that I lack. And mm -hmm. I know fish itself specifically helps with, um, you know, uh, 
women and men both go through these stages in life where they get thinned out hair or dry hair or, you know, things like that. Um, fish is really good for that to fish keep oils. your scalp healthy. Yeah, yes. Definitely. Now, do you supplement? Do you, is that something you would yes. buy? Okay. Yeah, definitely. Because yeah. I mean, we have to in this day and age also, you know, I think our ancestors didn't have that luxury, but we do have certain luxuries now that we can incorporate into our homesteader, that's, right? That's so funny you said that because I was literally just thinking that last night. <laughs> you know, it, you know, there, you don't have to absolutely live exactly like your ancestors. And that's always the bashing I get. Well, our ancestors didn't have long lives and we have long lives now. And, you know, all, all sorts of different uh, anti this, that, and the other. But I, I do agree. Like we have supplements, we have, like, I, I love um, superfood juices. Um, and I, I love to make them, but I also buy them. And so, um, that's something our ancestors, yeah, they never actually did the superfood juice, the cold pressed superfood juice, but it's, it's amazing. It's like super fuel for you. Yeah. It's I think with the whole idea with homesteading is you become as self-sufficient as you can. You supplement in other ways. It's okay to buy certain things. It's not like you can't order something online or something. You know what I mean? Like, okay, to a tea, only if it grows out of the ground, I'm going to eat it. I think some people have that kind of idea. It doesn't have to be that harsh. You do the best that you can that's going to fit your lifestyle and your family and, and your needs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Everybody is their own, right? And you know, I, I don't, I'm not a complete Amish person. I am talking on the internet right now. And <laughs> so, but yeah, yeah, it, yeah I, we buy stuff and, um, you know, and we have our, or like we eat a uh, chocolate and that's not something that would be normal, but <laughs> I, I like chocolate. I love, <laughs> I love okay. baking chocolate. And you know what? You're thin because you're eating all these other good foods. I noticed that too, just eating organic or uh, more, I would call it more, more paleo. I don't eat wheat. Wheat just messes with me. I just cannot eat wheat. So therefore mm -hmm. I can, I basically can eat as much as I want of anything and not gain weight if I just stay away from certain carbs that I think are pretty bad for you anyway. Bready, starchy things just don't work for me. Uh, but then you can have some chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You can have, you can, yeah. I mean, where things used to affect you, they don't affect you anymore, you know, um, but you have to, I go, you have to yourself go through the process of elimination of what is affecting your body in a bad way. And there's no one diet, no one secret for everybody because we all have different genetic makeup. There's going to be a lot of similarity for the people of, of European descent. Um, but if you're more Great Britain than Germanic, or, well, that's a bad example, but other than, or like Sweden, then you're going to have some differences in what you need to be eating. Um, your body is waiting for certain levels of vitamin D, certain levels of iron, certain levels of protein, um, because that's what it needs to function at optimal power. And so that you've got to self-identify and for all of the foreign objects that you're eating, you know, there are natural ones that your body is, doesn't know how to process. Yeah. And like, like whole, whole husk corn instead of just corn meal, right? So there's differences of how our ancestors used to utilize each of these 
food types like nuts, they wouldn't just eat a nut. They would grind it up and use it like a flour would be used. Um, or they would eat it when it was newer, softer. And, and when it got older or harder, they would grind it up. Mm -hmm. So it's not just about, okay, well, my ancestors ate these things because these were locally available. You need to understand how they processed them and eat them exactly the same way or, or very close to. Let's switch topics a little bit and get into kids. I want to hear about your decision to have many kids and about what age you started. I know we have quite a big baby boom happening in our scene right now, which is pretty exciting. <laughs> so let's get into your decision to have many kids when you started and when you made the decision that, yes, I want five kids. Well, that's a great one. Um, I come from a family of five kids. Oh, nice. So um, my husband comes from a very small family. And so when we got together, you know, what is one of the first things you talk about is how many kids do you want? He said six and I said two. <laughs> um, so we, we had three back to back and then we kind of took a break because literally we had three kids within four years and I was very young, you know, early twenties. And then, um, you know, after about six years, we said, you know what, let's, let's have more babies. And so we had two more back to back nice. and we're, we're not done. Um, you know, we're still young. We can still have more kids. So it's just about balancing it out for our lifestyle. It's funny. Cause I know another homesteader couple and they had, uh, yeah, they had a few really quick, they paused and then uh, she just she's 42 and she just had a, another baby <laughs> so you know it's almost like bam then they'll have some new ones again because they're getting you know empty nest syndrome or whatever the other kids are, are grown up you know so yeah yep well that's cool yep. yeah in the old days they used to just have them till they couldn't anymore right <laughs> yeah exactly i mean my mom went you know she she did that um she spaced them out though uh, anywhere between three to five years per baby. But I think her last kid, she was about 46. Wow. Yeah. I see my grandmas were 43 when they had their last kid too. So yeah, I think in Europe too, it tends to be in America, there was like, oh, high risk over 35 yeah, is some high risk pregnancy. It's just like, calm down. Like you, there's a huge baby boom of women in their late thirties who are, you know, they're not dying. The kids aren't retarded or deformed, you know, so it's like in a Europe that they're not, uh, they're not that way. They're, they're more relaxed about that. If women are, you know, 40 and having kids or something. Well, I would also say in America, um, the statistics that they're using are across multiple races. Mm. So um, it may be unhealthy for, you know, somebody that is not white to have children past mid thirties, but that doesn't mean that it's a high risk for um, our race. Yeah, it's true. There's the racial component. I was just talking about this the other day with someone, uh, I believe it's uh, black babies. Yeah, they don't gestate yep. as long as white babies. Yep. Very interesting, yep. huh? Is it, is it have to do with the size or uh, I'm not sure. Interesting, though. Yeah, different hips for different ladies, I guess. I don't and, and the you know, and, and it, there's a whole science to it. I mean, your body, your body knows like you are going to grow a baby that 
is um, complementary to, you know, or it's full circle. Your body is going to grow to be able to deliver a baby and your and then your body knows what size that baby needs to be in order to come out and things like that. It's, it's only whenever you have very big differences between those genetic standards um, where you're going to have mishaps. And so the baby may be on a different genetic path than you in your body. Um, say, for instance, uh, you take a woman that's that comes from genetic background that where they're used to having small babies. Um, if if she marries a man and has children with them, and the men come from a long line giants. of giant babies, you know, <laughs> yeah, then you have these problems. <laughs> Now, do you guys keep it simple in terms of toys? Tell us about that, because people have different uh, ideas on that. I mean, five kids, you have a lot of stuff, or do you keep it simple? I mean, especially if you have property, they can run around and play with their imagination, for instance. But Yeah, that's number one rule. Your main toy is the outside. Um, that's how I was raised. Um, and But with toys, I... I you know, a lot, we have some generic toys, some basic toys, but the majority of it is open your mind and be imaginative. What can you build? What can you do? If you want, if you want to play with something, build it. Um, and, um, and that's for the older kids, for the younger kids, we, you know, try to encourage them to color a lot. Um, and we're also very busy teaching them to clean, but they do have some downtime and they have their toys. I, you know, it doesn't, we have basic toys. We don't have like the talkative and music toys that you have today. They're Those are more, annoying anyway, aren't they? Oh, God. They're very annoying. <laughs> I hate them. Um, and every time we get them for a birthday or Christmas, it's like, you realize where this is going. <laughs> Goodwill. <gasps> yep. Um, we had them with, with our first child and every single one of them turned possessed. Um, it, you know, the batteries would get low and they would start going off in the middle of the yeah. night and waking the, the child up and like, okay, that's it. No more of those. Let's keep it simple. And, you know, we found that if we keep the toys simple, then the children's minds were more open to being imaginative. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Now, are they exposed to, do they get to watch uh, videos on YouTube? Do you pay, play any classic cartoons or things? Because there's a lot of new stuff that's just horrid, obviously, in programming all kinds of, you know, multiculturalism and you need diversity and all this crap, you know. So tell us about what you expose your children to. Oh, that's a hard or question. Or don't expose them to. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, no, we all know what we don't, but um, uh, we we definitely don't allow them to get on YouTube. We will watch YouTube videos with them. Um, I know for our oldest daughter, we let her sit on the computer and watch YouTube, but um, it's part of her homeschooling to where she is learning about all these trades and she really wants to grow up and be a master gardener when she grows up. And so what better opportunity than for her to actually sit and get all of these lessons from other home homesteaders out there, these master gardeners and, and actually provide proper lessons, um, which are facilitated through YouTube. But the, um, uh, and I've, I've 
done my own research on YouTube with the children and in influences. And there's a lot of, you know, there are some definite things out there that we really have got to be careful of um, hidden. It's like a hidden world in YouTube yeah. um, that really want to infiltrate our children. And from, from a surface, if you just look at it, it seems harmless to the parents. But if you really start looking into it, it, it really is trying to recondition them, um, really get them to embrace degeneracy, um, gets them to, it tells them, hey, why don't you download this app? And why don't you do this? You know, there's advertisements and, and everything else. And if you go and look at those apps, you'll see that there's server chats in there with other quote 12 year olds or other quote children. Mm. It's just a pedophilia, you know, area. And, and it's, it's, and it's a lot of liberal programming too. What I've noticed too, with a lot of the newer stuff, even in books and cartoons and stuff, they don't just say mommy and daddy anymore, or he or she, or man and woman, brother and sister, because of all this gender madness and trans hysteria. And then you turn on something and it has to be one kid of each, you know, it's like, it can't just be a bunch of white kids, or if they are, it's attacked for something, you know. I just, I, I notice it's, that's all the newer stuff is like that. There are a few things out there that I think are pretty innocent. Uh, you can, you can find some of that stuff still. I think Peppa Pig's all right. <laughs> I love Peppa Pig. Yeah, Peppa Pig's innocent. You know, I haven't seen any like um, covert messaging of that yet. So. Well, there is, there is the different animal types that are also in that's there true. that they interact with all the that's time. That's true. You know? That's true. But when it's like cute animals, I guess it's a, you can hide that a little bit you just pretend it's just it, this is a pretend cartoon world zoo you know well these are all of snow white's friends hanging <laughs> out together that's all it is in nature you know it's okay with animals but people no i'm joking but <laughs> but the thing is you know yeah we do let our kids watch tv i have no qualms with that and i i actually we set our children up right we don't hide things from them we don't hide the truth from them we educate them that's just it yeah and so when we allow them to watch television, it's kind of like, it's, it's kind of funny because if you look at you and Henrik watching these videos and calling things out and saying, oh, well, that's racist or this or that, they do the same thing when they're watching TV. That's great. It, yeah. So that it, you're teaching them critical thinking skills to understand the messages, the lies, the subversion. I mean, that's the best way you can parent instead of just saying, nope, you can't watch this because I said so. And then they're going to oh, just go straight to it and want to watch it instead of hearing from you, you know, having you teach them about these things. I, absolutely 100%. You know, they always say if a parent hides things from their children, the moment they learn that they can rebel, they're going to do exactly everything you said mm -hmm. that they couldn't do. That's right. Yep, exactly. So you can't take that kind of religious stance about it. that's not going to work anymore the best way is to know that our kids are going to grow up in this world it's mm -hmm. they're, they're going to come across and encounter these things so it's best to equip them and uh, you know arm them with the truth so they know how to deal with these situations and understand what's really going on as opposed to just flying blind like so many of us do because our parents also didn't see and they didn't know you know, that we have to wake up to these things later on. But at least now we can pass these things on to our children. It's up to us. Absolutely. And that, I think, you hit it on, you hit the nail on the head right there. You know, if our grandparents, your yours and my grandparents, 
didn't withhold so much truth about World War II and that the Great Depression, um, if they had shared more openly what caused it, we could have helped prevent it from happening again, if you will. Yeah. You know, all of the degeneracy, everything else. I think the boomers, if they had actually not been coddled and been shown the truth, we would be in a completely different world right now. Yep. Now it's up to us to change that. And here, this is the good thing. People like you are having a lot of kids. There is a baby boom, you know, a, a lot of uh, Mormons and Amish and people that aren't hardcore leftists that aren't leftists or globalists. And so it's, you know, our children that will be the future of the the white population, which mm-hmm. is a good thing in the future if these left white leftists aren't having any kids. What do you think about that? Oh, I've thought a lot about that <laughs> <laughs> on so many fronts. You're right. Um, the, the leftists are not having children at all. Um, they they don't believe in it. So it is a temporary problem for us right now, except for what they're putting in law, which will harm our children later on. Um, and so there there is that, that legacy that they're passing on through um, control, if you will. But I think we... I think we're pretty we're set up for success in that um in the fact that if we do continue to have a lot of children and educate them properly and and communicate everything what to look for when they become adults they can learn from our experiences and um the leftists are not they're you know they're either gay or they're <laughs> completely feminist right and they are adopting children and and trying to train them um they're definitely infiltrating public school so even our children not mine but collectively our children going to school are getting a certain level of subversion through them so you got to think about it leftists are not creating children but they are creating a legacy in a new format through manipulation through thought control um and it it is going it has affected a few generations now and will continue to affect more generations in the future which will have to be reversed and we need to start reversing it now yeah well, and kids always do want to rebel you know so the more that they push this stuff it's all mainstream crap the kids that want to be edgy and cool and different and think different and rebel are going to come to our side and i think that they all know that that's why they're so desperate shutting down youtube channels and anything cool and fun out there because they know that the kids will be drawn to it i think it's just a matter of time really um but it's true They've infiltrated the schools. Obviously, it's been that way for a long time. We know this. And there's only a few pockets here and there, I think, of schools that are more, I hate to use the word conservative because they're not really conservative either, but, uh, you know, that are more traditional, I suppose. Now, are your kids, you said, are out of public school? You homeschool? I mean, that's another huge trend. And for now, there isn't a war on homeschool, but I'm sure they'll come for that eventually, like in certain European countries. Yeah, there already is in certain states. We have to be very selective on which states we live in already in America. Um, I know Ohio, there's a certain lady, we don't live in Ohio, but I read about it, um, where a certain lady is trying to push a lot of regulations on homeschoolers and enforce um, uh, CPS uh, um, interviews and all sorts of things. And I know it a few states now require the children to be 
psychologically evaluated by the public school system yearly um, and ever also yearly the parent has to show the teaching plan to the superintendent and he has to approve it and if he doesn't approve it then you're not allowed to homeschool and if your children are seen as quote suffering from a psychological evaluation you will also be reprimanded and your children would be forced to go into public school oh. and that's already in america it's just outrageous i mean <laughs> But the one good plus is there is a huge homeschooling coalition in America, and I think there would yeah, be yep. a whole lot of pushback. So th that is on the plus side, right? Yeah, yeah. Everywhere where those people are, the coalition is as well fighting them. And yeah. it, it just like what we had with home birth and midw midwives, it's now the homeschool coalition doing the same thing, fighting for our freedom, fighting for our right to be able to to raise our children the way we want to. We didn't ask the government to come in and take control of parenting. They just want to take control of the parenting. Yep, exactly. And I think you mentioned uh, midwifery. It's it's true. There was a war on that for a while. There's a it's trend where it's coming back now where they were looking at you're having your baby at home or a midwife. That's quackery. You, you're <laughs> what are you? Some nuts, <laughs> right? They, they would treat you like that. Like, who yeah. are these weird women having babies at home? Like forever women didn't go to the hospitals to have babies. And I think it's about getting that baby into the hospital. They can get the blood. They can uh -huh. tag them. They inspect the parents. They do all this stuff. And they make you pay thousands and thousands of dollars for all of this. Right? Yep. Yep. One of my girlfriends, um, the doctor did a C-section and snuck in a tummy tuck. And then, she, of course, she was on Medicare or whatever that is. And they charged a quarter of a million dollars. Like, how is that even possible? I know I hear just these stories all the time where it's just, it's crazy. Yeah. And then the C-sections, they make more money doing that, yes, right? They so do. it's just get them in, get them but, out. You know. But they're not allowed to do that anymore since the um, AMA was taken to court basically with the midwives, um, you know, Ina Mae Gaskin and a few others had headed that up. And um, they, they now are, I think just a couple of years ago, they actually have to have a, a proper cause for doing an induction or doing a C-section. You can't just electively choose to do so anymore. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> God, having a baby in America in the hospital is like, whoa, look out. I know we have high-end state-of-the-art stuff, but it's also a huge moneymaker and they push all these things you don't need. How was your birthing experience? Was it natural? Did you have uh, any emergency situations? Um, I would say no. <laughs> I mean, everything has been great. I love giving birth. Um, I'm, you know, if you talk to other women, it, you don't hear the same thing, but. Some hate it. Um, some love it. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely love it. I think natural birth is phenomenal. Um, in fact, you know, my largest baby was slightly over 10 pounds. Mm. And I was laughing when she came out. Um, so to I don't know if it's just me, but that's just how I am. But, uh, you know, there were a couple of situations where we had like um, an umbilical cord wrapped around the neck. Um, another one, um, she was sunny side up, which means she was, her, her position was correct, but mm -hmm. she was facing upward instead of downward. 
And so it's just all about educating yourself um, on how to properly give birth, um, what positions to put your body in to help your contractions, to push the baby in the right position, those types of things. And then, of course, what to do in case of those emergencies if they ever do arise. Yep. Exactly. Women have figured this out for a long time. Now, what do you think in, in terms of, to me, it just always seems like it's it's a woman's domain. Like women prefer mm. to be with other women in that situation. Uh, now, and for many years, it was like the men went over there and then the women went over here and <laughs> took care of it. What do you think about that? Or did your husband help you deliver since you're alone? Um, well, actually, for three children, it was just me and my husband. Mm. So... Um, I actually quite prefer it. In fact, um, it's not normal for me to talk like this, but giving birth is actually very sensual. Uh, It's very sensual to make a baby, and so it should still be sensual to have a baby, to give birth. Mm -hmm. And so what a better place to be than with the man that is going to provide that security for you, going to be there to to protect you and take care of you. Um, You know, I think... Maybe um, for me, I I did have midwives for two of them, uh, kind of a luxury birth for me, (laughs) everything being taken care of and cleaned up for me instead of me doing it right after giving birth. But, well, my husband helped with that. But um, having the midwives there, it just kind of felt weird. You know, I don't know you. I, I haven't known you my whole life. And you're here and witnessing this. It felt weird to me. It, I like to be alone when I do those types of things. Yep. Now, you, when you were talking about a sensual experience, uh, not all, like if you watch any TV shows, they won't show you that. It's always a woman just <laughs> screaming and hating her husband and all this stuff. And then I've seen the extreme. There's some, uh, <laughs> I don't know about this. There's some women on YouTube who post it where they're like having an orgasm while they're having the baby in water. I'm like, eh, about that you know <laughs> there's, like... there's extremes to everything Linda. <laughs> yeah um you know yep yeah, you're right i've seen <laughs> both of those as well <laughs> but um now I, now I can't stop laughing um uh yeah where do we go from there <laughs> i don't know <laughs> but it, it, it's it each person is different um and you know, I would say I can't speak for the water birth experience like you just mentioned, but uh, at least for the screaming kind, which is the more mainstream known um, version, you know, that's all made up. Come on, guys. You know, it, it, you're going – think about it from um, – it's, it's not really pain, it's pressure. A lot of people misinterpret that. They fear that pain because they know that it should exist. Um, and when you have fear, um, your natural fight or flight syndrome kicks in. And the fight or flight syndrome, what it does is it takes blood away from your major organs and it pushes it to your limbs. Mm. And your uterus is one of those major organs. And so if you fear pain or fear childbirth, you're going to cause yourself to have a more difficult birth. It can actually stop birth. It can it can cause a lot of risks to be entered in. And so if you go back and revert back to going to an OBGYN, 
um, and getting prepared for a hospital birth, the only thing they're focusing on, and possibly rightfully so, is the risks. And only focusing on those, well, if you have any of these symptoms, tell us immediately, you know, or, um, you know, just in case, or you might be high risk for this, we need to do more tests. Um, Just in case, when can we schedule your C-section? You know, those types of, they're, they're introducing that fear into a woman and, but they're not soothing her. They're not telling her she's doing great. They're not telling her she's going to have a great natural birth. They never have that conversation with mm-hmm. them. And that enters in that justification for you earlier when you were saying, you know, hospitals cost so much money. Well, that's just part of the saleship right there. It's part of the salesmanship of how can I get you to spend the most money so I can take an amazing vacation later or whatever else the case may be. Um, and I'm sure there's a lot of incentive, right? So they're justified to spend that quarter of a million dollars and, and bill it to the government. Um, and that's their incentive, but also the government is also benefiting from this by getting sampling, getting data, you know, getting all of this information about everybody, including all of the DNA for all of the future generations as they're born. Yep. Even their foreskin. So yes, oh, gosh, ah, opt out, opt out. If you must go to a hospital, if you're in that situation that you can opt out of all these things, just say no. <laughs> just say no. Just and say there no. is there is a religious exemption for everything, yeah. by the way, guys. Exactly. So if you're ever in that situation, just um, tell them it's against your religious beliefs and let them debate how it's not. Exactly. No, we have this on the screen. Did you see this postpartum ad that uh, the Oscars rejected? We played it in a flashback Friday or, or a weekend warrior. I can't remember, but it's like there's a a nice way they could have done this ad, but they did it in this most depressing, awful way that really puts women off to having babies. Did you see this? I thought we could play it and then just get your comments on this. Uh, go ahead and play it. I don't okay. recall this. Though. All right. seriously like the way they zoom in and the baby's screaming she's all alone the dark dingy color her body i mean like could they have made this look any any worse really you should see my face right now <laughs> uh, this is ridiculous um yeah it's so and look like, at that look at that this is walking around this is like huge diaper and it's just hell and like oh my god like you know don't have a baby you just have to spray this stuff in your vagina and like what is she spraying like squirting and spraying and like what is going on there <laughs> she's cleaning herself clearly um 
I don't get this. But, <gasps> you know, this is like, hey, hey, women, if uh, you want to have children, this is what you're going to have to suffer with. Yeah. And you hear that crying baby yeah. constantly in the exactly. background. Exactly. You know, you're, you're not going to get any sleep. This is horrendous. You think it's going to be so easy to have a baby. No, it's going to be too hard for you. You might as well just not do it. Exactly. Yeah. And, and like I said earlier, too, she's all alone. There's no I don't know if this was a yeah. sperm donor situation or what exactly the pitch of the cry and everything. And then the, they were saying, you know, the people this company, oh, my God, the Oscars banned us. We're being censored and all this stuff. <gasps> you know, most people don't want to see a lady on a toilet. Yeah. And hearing her pee and it's like they make it graphic yeah. and dirty. And it's just like it, it's it's depressing. You know, it really is. So it's not like this, ladies. You know, there is a moment of postpartum recovery, but it's not this bad. Yeah. It, you know, maybe if you went to the hospital and gave birth or whatever else, then with, with a lot of intervention, um, you may have a harder time of recovery. But if you have a natural birth, you do not go through yeah. such hard times. Like I, I was baking a cake minutes before I gave birth. And I was up and walking around um, minutes after my birth. Yeah. It's not, it's not like this. I know. When I saw this, I was like, this is the majority of women don't have this experience. So I don't understand why they would choose to use the the worst case scenario in the ugliest way possible to show women, oh, it doesn't have to be this hard. (laughs) It isn't this hard for most women. Where's the motivation? Where's the support for moms? Where Where is it these days? Yeah, but it just seems like, and of course, it's a white woman too, right? It's it's yeah. always this. When you see it on TV, when you see it in most places, I mean, sure, yeah, there's, there, there's sappy movies about, you know, families and kids and stuff, but uh, specifically around childbirth or uh, the child-free life, all that kind of programming, it's always white women involved in those ads or those movies or, or those photographs, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. And well, that's the majority of who wants babies. Um, in my opinion, I, the, you know, I, I've talked to a lot of women. Um, the, the only ones, the only ones that have come to me and, and shown interest in my children and wanted to ask questions, they were all white. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On some level, it speaks to them. I think it's unconscious. It's like I, I notice, especially being out with the blonde kid, uh, you know, blonde, blue-eyed kid. Uh, he gets a lot of attention from white people, specifically, even some non-whites, but they they glare. But a lot of white people, oh, he's just so cute, and I just want to touch his hair and and stuff like that. And I think it's unconsciously they know, like we're being swamped demographically, our birth rates are low. Unconsciously, it's like they're yearning for more white babies. They just they just aren't fully aware, like they haven't put the picture together, you know? Yeah. If they saw a lot of uh, blonde-haired, blue-eyed babies, they probably would be, they probably wouldn't react like that. But because yeah. it is more rare, it, it's rare. And it's so sad. they, they want to coddle it. They want to cuddle it as soon as they see it. Yeah, I had a com- I had a complete opposite experience with my redheaded son. Um, we were at a gas station, and this Jamaican lady said, "You know, something like, don't ever take your your boy there. They would cut cut his head off." Oh, and I'm like, my husband like was 
total protective dad mode. What did you just say? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh my but supposedly they in Jamaica they think that redheaded uh, yeah they're cursed are or the voodoo, devil. some voodoo yeah. or some stuff yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah, you know, speaking of this too, I think it's interesting. Uh, Ayla, my friend, she has six kids as well, mm -hmm. wife of the purpose, and she's had white people come up and glare at her and be disgusted when she's out with her kids. But they sure don't do this when the Mexicans do it or when the Muslims do it or when the black woman in, in the neighborhood has five kids from different dads. It just seems like it's just when white women choose to have big, oh, what are you religious or what's wrong with you or why are you breeding like rabbits? I just, I see that, you know? You know, Thanks for talking. Thanks for bringing that up. Because as you were talking, it kind of made me think, are other white people judging us like we're too low class because other lower classes are having a lot of children? Is that it? What is it? Because yeah. I don't get it. I don't understand why other white people would feel the need to try to publicly shame or, or um, you know, ridicule us for having multiple children I, to me if if i ever see it i'm i'm typically the person to try to gain control over the situation very quickly um and stress how awesome it is to have a big family um you know my daughter my oldest daughter is huge in helping the family um taking care of the little ones and and everything else all of my children's interact a lot with everybody. Um, they're very intelligent. And they don't just sit there and say stupid things. Um, so we try to be advocates out there. We take our children everywhere um, and we show everybody how easy it is to have a large family and how wonderful it is. And we try to spread that. We want as much young people to see that and be influenced in a positive manner rather than this stupid commercial that was just, just shared. <laughs> well, I'll you tell know. you, all, all the women I know that have bigger families are the, the happiest women I know. <laughs> it's just a fact, you know? And then the ones that are the most depressed are, are women that don't have kids. I mean, it's just a fact, you know? And I also think, as you were saying, you have the older ones to help out. That's how it always was, you know, agrarian lifestyle too. They had lots of kids on the farm and they helped out and stuff. And it's easier with more kids because they do help out and they entertain each other and stuff. Whereas one kid alone can be very demanding. It just wants mommy and daddy all the time, right? And doesn't have yep. anyone else to play with. And so people have that one kid and they're like oh my god it's so much work but then it's actually e easier the more kids that you add on because they play with each other and they help out and all that well yeah parents with single children if they want them to have other interactions with other children they actually have to take them out of the house and take them over to a friend's house or whatever else or vice versa and when you have multiple children they just entertain themselves <laughs> and you <laughs> and, and me and and it's it's great it's fun there's you know you can create a project to do with all of the children and get different results from each child and it's it's so much fun to try to predict what's about to happen um but every time you interact with your children you're you're making memories and it's just so fulfilling, kind of like what I was saying at the beginning of this stream about um, growing a plant from a seed. Those children you grew and you gave birth to and you took the, you gave them the best care possible. 
and as they grow up and become themselves and as long as you always embrace them to be a strong character with a set of standards a set of morals and to truly know who they are they will blossom so much and you'll be the proudest mama on the block to see how wholesome and complete your children are and full of life yep that's it's right. it's it's the biggest success you'll ever have in your life that's right. The best thing you can do. It's the greatest gift you'll ever get, for sure. Now, I wanted to ask you, too, a couple more questions. Extended family. Do you have large extended family? Do they have lots of cousins? Are they nearby? Because that's one thing I hear about a lot of people in our scene. They feel isolated, like they don't have other families to play with, or maybe their family isn't nearby, or they're kind of spread out. So, yeah, we do have a very, very large extended family. Nice. In fact, we have to split up Christmas parties to fit everybody in the house. <laughs> um <laughs> and we have one family member that we have completely disowned, but everybody else is great. <laughs> and, Sometimes there's that one, you know, just happens. Yep. Um, so, but um, I don't know. What what were you asking about that? So everybody does play along very well, though. Yeah, and they're all supportive. So you have a big support yeah. system, which, which also helps. Yeah, well, that's how we were raised, too. Yeah. I mean, we were raised to be like that. So, and it's up to us now as my parents are getting very much older. Um, you know, it, we need to start taking the reins to keep that connection alive. Um, you know, my grandmother's sister, that to even her entire family, we've all been connected and we all live close to one another and we all grew up with each other. And since my grandmother has passed as well as my great aunt, um, we just had a family reunion not too long ago with them and we're like geez what happened why are, why did we get kind of pulled away from each other and we need to rekindle it next generation needs to pick it up and i i made an announcement saying well i'm taking my great aunt's role and doing the uh the parties bringing the social hours together again and 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 rekindling the next generation of of gatherings if you will um, a few of them have homesteads and they all live close by. And, and we said, well, you know, we'll come and help. That's no worries. You know, we're, we're a family. We have to be there for each other and support each other. That's right. I think we European people have to get better about that. Some of these other races, uh, well, maybe blacks not so much, but like, you know, uh, there's some others like Muslims and Latinos and stuff. They have huge extended families. They help each other out. Even Asians, you know, help each other out financially in different ways. And I feel like white people, as we become so modernized and just radical individuals that that's lost for a lot of people. So we do have to bring back that trend. It's very important. Well, you give such a, a lovely and important message, and I, I love what you're doing, and I love that you guys are uh, out there live streaming and stuff. So tell us more about what you and your husband are doing and what you talk about. Oh, online. okay. All right. Well, um, I do a morning thoughts randomly. You just have to catch me live because I'm a very busy lady, but I just do like quick little 30-minute morning thoughts episodes to kind of motivate people teach them about how to improve their, their selves or build a community. Um, together, my husband and I do a show called The Reddington House on the Verbo Tempestus channel. Um, and that's every other Wednesday night at, um, I believe, 9 p.m. Eastern. And we talk anything about family, um, relationships, um, 
anything and everything to do with wholesomeness. So it's, it's, and we, 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 we choose random topics to discuss from our angle. We have a different view on a lot of things. Um, but my husband, he owns the Verbo Tempestus um, channel, if you will. And he has four different shows total that he does on that channel. Um, he has the Folkstead, uh, which is talking about homesteading, how to get into it, how to um, become part of a homestead community and what what things you need to learn and to do. Um, and so that is on Tuesday nights, right before the Reddington House at 8 p.m. Eastern. And then he has two other shows that are more fun and whimsical. One is called The Conduit, where they talk about conspiracy theories and try to break them out and, and looking at um, comparative history. But it's from a trilogy perspective. Um, Celtic roots versus... Um, Germanic pagan versus Christian and bringing all three of those thoughts together in one conversation. And then the, the flagship show called Verbo live with Kaiser. Um, that is the original show that started us being online. And um, they do a lot of news posting with jokes, a lot of um, impressions, um, but they do a lot of deep talking, deep thinking, deep talking. And um, verbo tempestus means word storm. So whatever is said is said, whatever, wherever the conversation goes, it's going to go. So there's no main structure, if you will. It's very free to talk about. Um, I used to do a hen house, but we've evolved that to the Reddington house. So I do know some people used to follow me for the hen house. We're, we're still doing it, but we're doing it Reddington House style now. Nice. Well, it sounds like a well-rounded lineup, and it's a good life huh? when you can be out there. You can be doing these shows, and then you can work on the land. I think it's a good kind of modern-day combo, you know? It's like we can be on the uh, out online and, and taking part in the battle that's happening ideologically. It's happening in online spaces, and we can be in touch, you know, outside on the ground and in the land and being outside and enjoying all that. So I think that's the... I don't know. It seems very like a 2020 pagan to me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in the year 2020, paganism. Well, well, a lot of people, a lot of people talk, right? But we're yeah. all about um, practicing what we preach, if you will, and living a wholesome life. And our main motto across all of our shows is, you know, build a family or build yourself first, mind, body, and spirit, then build a family and then build a community and accept not a degenerate amongst you. And so that's our main message to everybody. Well, it's been lovely getting to know you. Uh, it's I always meet all the, the best people out there. I'm telling you, we have so many cool people listening and, and coming in every day into these topics that we're discussing. And there's a lot of us out there. Not everyone is doing live streams. Not everyone's doing shows. But there's still a lot of people doing that, thankfully. But think of all the people who are listening and all the people who aren't doing shows who are on our page. I think there's a lot of them out there. So it's very encouraging. And I'm, I'm very glad to have connected with you. Yes, well, definitely. I really appreciate this, Lana. It was very nice to talk to you. We'll do it again sometime. Thanks. <laughs> Bye. So what message can I leave you with? Well, self-sufficiency doesn't and can't happen overnight, but there's little things that we can do to get us on our way. I think some is better than none. 
And of course, it's very tough to be 100% independent because we still do need each other and all the things that we all bring to the table in order to survive. And lastly, make more babies and continue to support Red Ice. We are under attack and we can't do this without your continued membership. We have big plans for the future, for our future. So thank you so much for all your support, donations, and memberships. We do need it. Much love. See you next time.